I don't know if you all pay attention to this, but if you look down at the bottom there, <clears throat> we all kind of grew up singing this song, right? American song. The tune's actually from India. Maybe we learned this from Indian converts. Wouldn't that be interesting? Amen. A folk melody from India. Anyways, I like seeing that little little tidbits like that. All right. <clears throat> My iPad gave up the ghost this afternoon. Well, it didn't die, but it died. You know, does that make sense? The battery quit. So, and I thought it had enough in there. So we're back to paper tonight. So I have to remember how to do this. I got to turn all the pages. So the book of, not Job, Judges. And I'm not going to read a whole lot because we're essentially going to be preaching the whole, the whole chapters of, essentially, we're getting all of our texts from chapters 4 and 5 chapters 4 and 5. And again, sorry, Brother Craig, but we're not going to get into specifically J.L. and Sisera. Um, it's, yes, a lot of dad jokes coming to mind right there. But we are going to look at um, this thought. And I've told you before, as I said, but we're going to look at who fought and who didn't fight. Who fought and who didn't fight. And the reason I bring that out is because Deborah brings it out in her song. She makes a point of it. So I went back through the scripture, through the, through the two chapters, and, and took a notice as to all that. And we're going to look a little bit um, at what and why. So let's just, let's just look at chapter 5 specifically. So go to chapter 5 and verse 1. <clears throat> then sang Deborah and... Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day sang. So this is a, a Jewish song, okay, Israeli song. Praise ye the Lord for the avenging of Israel when the people willingly offered themselves. Hear, O ye kings, give ear, O ye princes. I, even I, will sing unto the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. Lord, when thou wentest out of Seir, when thou marchest out of the field of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped and the clouds also dropped water. And that is a reference to the battle. The mountains melted from before the Lord, even that Sinai from before the Lord God of Israel. And we'll see later uh, why that's part of the battle. Okay, Verse 6, In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, and the days of Jael, the highways were unoccupied and the travelers, travelers walked through byways. It's saying the kind of oppression that was there. People had to walk around in secret and quiet like they didn't want to get caught or they didn't want to be seen moving. They did everything in secret. Verse 7, the inhabitants of the villages ceased. They ceased in Israel until that I, Deborah, arose, that I arose a mother in Israel. Lots of thoughts on why she would have chosen that term even, but good stuff. They chose, maybe because there wasn't a man to stand up and act like a man, so she had the mother. Okay. I think you all get the picture. Verse 8. They chose new gods. Then was war in the gates. And now here's another. We're pretty sure this is a reference to the battle also. Was there a shield or spear seen among 40,000 in Israel? In other words, they didn't have, they didn't have battle weapons. Okay. Verse 9. My heart is toward the governors of Israel that offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless ye the Lord. So good men. Speak ye that ride on white asses, ye that sit in judgment and walk by the way. And it's referencing the white donkeys is what the, the local rulers would have ridden. Verse 11. They that are delivered from the noise of archers and the places of drawing water, there shall they rehearse the righteous acts of the Lord, even the righteous acts toward the inhabitants of the villages in Israel. Then shall the people of the Lord go down to the gates. They're going to be able to go back to doing business in the gates again instead of hiding in the corners and side streets. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake. Utter a song, arise. Barak, and lead thy captivity captive, thou son of Abinoam. Then he made him that remaineth have dominion over the nobles among the people. The Lord made me have dominion over the mighty. Out of Ephraim was there a root of them against Amalek. After thee, Benjamin, among thy people, out of Maker came down governors, and out of Zebulun they that handle the pen of the writer. Again, now referencing who is coming to the battle. And the princes of Issachar were with Deborah, even Issachar, and also Barak. He was sent on foot into the valley. For the divisions of Reuben, there was great thoughts of heart. 
Why abodest thou among the sheepfolds to hear the bleedings of the flock? For the divisions of Reuben there were great searchings of heart. Gilead abode beyond Jordan, and why did Dan remain in ships? Asher continued on the seashore and abode in his breaches. A breach is meaning where the rivers are dumping out onto the sea. Okay, So breaches are a reference of where the sea edge is breached by rivers and, and creeks coming down on into the, into the sea. Okay, So, verse 18. Zebulun and Naphtali were a people that jeoparded their lives unto the, the death in the high places of the field. The kings came and fought, then fought the kings of Canaan and Taanach by the waters of Megiddo. They took no gain of money. They fought from heaven. The stars in their courses fought against Sisera. The river of Kishon swept them away. Remember, talked about God bringing rain down from the mountains and all that. Okay, the river of Kishon swept them away, that ancient river, the river Kishon. Oh, my soul, thou hast trodden down strength. Then were their horse hoofs broken by the means of their prancings, the prancings of the mighty ones. Curse ye Miraz, said the angel of the Lord. This is a city in Israel. Curse ye bitterly the inhabitants thereof, because they came not to help of the Lord to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Blessed above women shall Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, be. Blessed shall she be above women in the tent. He asked water, and she gave him milk. She brought forth butter in a lordly dish. She put her hand to the nail, and her right hand took the workman's hammer, and with the hammer she smote Sisera. She smote off his head when she had pierced and stricken through his temples. At her feet he bowed, he fell, he lay down. At her feet he bowed, he fell. Where he bowed, there he fell down dead. And I love this. This is almost, forgive me, but this is almost like a mom joke now. The next little bit here, okay? The mother of Sisera, the one who got his, nail, his head nailed to the ground, looked out at a window and cried through the lattice, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the wheels of his chariots? I mean, this is crazy. Deborah's spending time talking about somebody she's probably never met, but considering this. Verse 29, her wise, lady, wise ladies answered her, Yea, she returned answer to herself. Have they not sped? Have they not divided the prey? That's all. They, they just beat everybody, the snot out of everybody, and now they're dividing the prey to every man a damsel or two. Okay, you're not talking about property there. It's war, it's battle. Just use your imagination as to what she's referring to there. To every man a damsel or two. To Sisera a prey of divers colors, a prey of divers colors of needlework, of divers colors of needlework on both sides. Meet for the necks of them that take the spoil. So that whole bit was given to, for those who are disappointed by the loss of Sisera. Verse 31. So let all thine enemies perish, O Lord, but let them that love him be as the sun when he goeth forth in his might. And the land had rest forty years. Father, Lord, we'd ask that you'd bless the reading and the preaching of your word. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> Amen. Faith and regret. Faith and regret. I'm reminded, and we've seemed like we've covered this topic before, but the thing that comes into my mind is you can choose your actions, but you can't choose the consequences. You can choose your actions, but you can't choose the consequences. So, again, I want to go to this who fought, who didn't, because she obviously makes a point out of it. So who fought? Who fought? So get ready. We're going to look through chapter 4 and 5 a bunch. All right? Who fought? God did. God fought. Look at chapter 4. And verse 15. Chapter 4 and verse 15. And the Lord discomfited Sisera and all his chariots and all his hosts with the edge of the sword before Barak, so that Sisera lighted down off his chariot and fled away on his feet. Look at chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. Lord, when thou wentest out of Seir, when thou marchest out of the field of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped, the clouds also dropped water, the mountains melted from before the Lord, even that Sinai from before the Lord God of Israel. And then look down at verse 20 through 22. They fought from heaven. The stars in their courses fought against Sisera. The river of Kishon swept them away. That ancient river, the river Kishon, oh my soul. 
Thou hast trodden down strength. Then were the horse hoofs broken by the means of prantings, the prancings of the mighty ones. So what we're led to understand from the, the picture that's given here, okay, and if we remember that, why would a man um, leave his chariot and run? I want you to ask yourself this question. A chariot, which is faster, a chariot or a man? So why would you, what would cause you to get out of a chariot? It's stuck, <laughs> okay? The, the, the water, remember they went up on a mountain and they attacked from a mountain. Technically we think they went up on the mountain and then they divided themselves and attacked them in the middle. But somehow God caused a rain and the mountain itself, the mud from the mountain went down into the plain that they were running these chariots across and they all got stuck. 900 chariots of iron, we're the most powerful until they're all just big hunks of iron sitting on the ground going nowhere, and then you're easy pickings, okay? So, for some reason, he gets off. So what does God do? God says, 900 chariots. Let's see if we can get a little, uh, can we have some rain? I think that should take care of it. <laughs> I mean, just this is great. So God fought. God got in the fight. Amen. Of course, we know. And God is still in the fight. Praise the Lord. God is still in the fight on our behalf. He still fights for us. Now, who else fought? Well, a, a big one, and we looked at it last week, Barak. Barak fought. Look at chapter 4, again, verses 14 through 16. Deborah said unto Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord hath delivered Sisera into thine hand. Is not the Lord gone out before thee? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor and 10,000 men after him. And the Lord discomfited Sisera. Okay? And, of course, we know that's the Lord's part. Now go down to verse... Uh, Oh no, that's there. The Lord discomfited Sisera and all his chariots and all his house with the edge of the sword before Barak, so that Sisera lighted down off his chariot and fled away on his feet. But Barak pursued after the chariots and after the host under the Harasheth of the Gentiles. And all the host of Sisera fell upon the edge of the sword. There was not a man left. So Barak fought. Now this is the same Barak that we looked at last week. Barak of weak faith. Okay? But he still fought. He had weak faith. But he fought, okay? We could even go down to chapter 4. We could say in verses 23 and 24, where it says God subdued Jabin the king of Canaan on that day before the children of Israel. But it also says that they continued the fight. Verse 24, And the hand of the children of Israel prospered and prevailed against Jabin the king of Canaan until they had destroyed Jabin king of Canaan. So it wasn't like they just quit. This battle, we beat Caesar, we're done. They continued the fight. They continued the battle. So Barak, Barak of weak faith fought. Okay? And we again, chapter 5 in the song, look at verse 12. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, utter a song. Arise, Barak, and lead thy captivity captive, thou son of Abinoam. Look at verse 15. And the princes of Issachar were with Deborah, even Issachar, and also Barak. He was sent on foot. I mean, in, on foot against the chariots. Okay? That, I, no matter how you cut it, weak faith or not, I'm just telling you, it takes a man of some courage to run on foot with a sword against chariots that most, from what we understand of the day and of the time of the people, most likely had uh, nice, lovely little iron, essentially, weapons coming off the side that were designed just to raise through people and, and cut them all in half. While the, this, this takes a man, okay? He's a man. But he still had some weak faith to deal with. So Benjamin, of weak faith. Now who else fought? Well, if we look, we know there were two tribes, right? Because specifically, Deborah told Barak to go get two tribes, Zebulun and Naphtali. So chapter 4, verse 10. And Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kedesh, and he went up with 10,000 men at his feet, and Deborah went up with him. So Barak called 10,000 men out of these two tribes, and they showed they showed up, and guess who they followed? A leader who had some weak faith. But they showed up. I'll start putting two and two together on some of these things, okay? They follow, and, and we're even led to believe, so look at, um, uh, let's see here. What's my notes? Okay, look, go to chapter 5 and verse 18. Nope, that's the, that's not the one I want. Okay, verse 15. And the princes of Issachar were with Deborah, even Issachar and also Barak. So evidently Issachar was also there. So there's another one of the representation of the tribes. Maybe Zebulun and Naphtali were the largest portions. We don't know. Maybe Issachar was just there kind of in a, 
advisory status and didn't have people who were capable of war. We don't know. But Zebulun and Naphtali, they, re- they showed up. They went to fight, even though they had to follow a leader who had a little bit of questions and um, wouldn't go unless a woman did. Okay? Who else showed up? Well, look at chapter 5. And this gets interesting because why does she use the term 40,000 in Israel? And when she says there um, in verse 8 of chapter 5, they chose new gods, then was war in the gates. Was there a shield or spear seen among 40,000 in Israel? Most people believe she is now referencing after the initial 10,000 went down and with the help of the Lord beat Sisera, there was a continued fight, right, to beat Jabin. And what typically happens is there's a great battle and then the rest of Israel shows up to help clean out the house. That's kind of, we're going to see that often here in, in uh, the book of Judges. And so what we find in here, go to chapter 5 and verse 14 through 15. Out of Ephraim was there a root of them against Amalek. So if you remember, this is one of the groups that came out to help the Canaanites or the Amalekites. So Ephraim showed up. After thee, Benjamin, among thy people. Out of Maker came down governors. Out of Zebulon, they handled the pen of the writer. So now we see Ephraim, Benjamin, and this Maker. Well, Maker, remember Manasseh split in half? So remember Manasseh's two half-tribes now? Okay, so a half-tribe stayed on the east side of Jordan with Reuben, and a half-tribe stayed on um, the west side. So Maker represents the west side of Manasseh, the, the, the part of the tribe of Manasseh that was on the west side, the west side of Jordan, okay? So Ephraim, Benjamin, and, and Maker. So they show up to the battle. Now, they came in late. Listen, they came in late, but they showed up, okay? If Nezebian and Naphtali had pretty much won the war when they beat Sisera. I mean, that, the, the battle's done at that point. And so at some point in here, Ephraim and Benjamin and Maker show up also to help out, but they show up later than Zebulun and Naphtali and thus get second credit, but they still showed up to fight. Late, but they showed up, okay? So I want you to think about that. And then who finally showed up? Craig, Brother Craig would love to answer this one. Who's the last one to show up? Jael showed up. Boy, did she show up with a tent nail and a hammer, and again be reminded that this wasn't some little um, uh, preening princess, okay? The, the women were most likely the ones who set these tents up. She was familiar with a hammer and a tent spike. She knew what she was doing, okay? Probably didn't take her but one good smack to get that thing. She showed up. Now, I want to put this in perspective. J.L. shows up. Who's J.L.'s husband? From the passage? Heber. Okay, we're going to look at this a little bit, but Heber did not fight. Heber, as a matter of fact, was a traitor. Heber's the one who ran and told Sisera and Jabin that, that Barak was gathered together to fight. So this is the wife of the husband who informed the enemy <laughs> that they were, that they were going to cause trouble. So J.L. shows up. Man, does she show up. I mean, she literally had to switch sides. She had to make a choice on which side she's going to be on. So she had to switch sides in the fight. So we've got, it, we've got God who always fights. We've got Barak who's fighting but has some weak faith, which grew, thank the Lord. We've got Zebulun and Naphtali who were initially led by a man who had weak faith. Okay? Then we've got Ephraim and, and uh, Manasseh and Benjamin who show up late, but they show up. And then you got J.L., who literally doesn't show up till the very end of the fight and has to switch sides to do it. Okay? Does everybody connect the dots? Who fought? These are the people. Now, and just thank the Lord. Praise the Lord for courageous women. I'm just telling you. Uh, we'll talk about J.L. a little later. But praise the Lord for women who, who will take a stand and, and, and do what's right. Okay. Her husband was away. Who knows that whole thing? That's a big mess. I mean, I wish I could show you this thing on a map, too. Because Sisera literally runs all the way back to where this whole thing started. And he gets pushed way south. And somehow when he leaves his chariot, he makes this big circuit all the way back up to where the whole thing started. It's really kind of, you should check it out on a map sometime. Look up these things. Now, so that's who fought. Who did not fight? Well, as we've just said, number one, Heber. 
Hebrews. So look at chapter 4. Go to verse um, 10. And Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kedesh, and he went up with 10,000 men at his feet, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite, which was of the children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, had severed himself from the Kenites. So this is unusual. So Hebab is part of a tribe that are friends to Israel. But he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be a friend to Israel. Evidently, he knew which side his bread was buttered on. Okay, you get the picture? He was doing what was convenient for him to do. I would call him a traitor, but essentially in his mind, he's just making sure he's on the winning side because he doesn't want to get beat. Okay, listen to what it says. Heber the, Heber the Kenite, which are the children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, had severed himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent into the plain of Zaanaim, which is by Kedesh. And they showed, they showed Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, was gone up to Mount Tabor. So he's referencing Heber and the people of Heber. Okay? Maybe Jael is included here. I don't know. But it specifically calls out Heber as one of the ones who uh, pointed out, hey, they're gathering together over here. I mean, we got a traitor. I don't know. Maybe he just... Maybe. Okay? There's a possibility that he is being used of God here. Well, I mean, he probably... I mean, God obviously used it. There's a possibility here that he's used of God on purpose. But Heber gets no praise in this whole story. There's no praise for Heber. So it's not like, you know, somebody's over there saying, okay, Heber, go. See if you can bring him down. No, Heber's over there going, there's going to be a fight. This is not good. Hey, you, they're going to cause trouble. You need to do something. I mean, this is tattletale supreme, okay? He does not get praised for his actions. And not only does he not fight, he lets the enemy know that there might be one, okay? Now, this one is going to kill you. But guess who didn't fight? This is a big one. Sisera. Sisera didn't fight. He showed up to the battle, and as soon as the circumstances changed, what'd he do? He lit out and ran. As soon as he doesn't feel like he's got the dominant superiority with his chariots of iron, he don't hang around. He don't draw no sword. He gets out, he gets out of a chariot all by himself and runs. I mean, it gets so bad, he hides in a woman's tent. I'm just telling you, you study the culture of the day, this is weird stuff. He hides in a woman's tent, and then he tells her of all things, if anybody comes, you don't know nothing. Okay? That, what it, verse, look at verse 20, chapter 4. And again he said unto her, Stand in the door of the tent, and it shall be when any man doth come and inquire thee, and say, Is there any man here? Thou shalt say, No. <laughs> he is running and hiding. The guy who is causing all the trouble. I mean, Cicero was the key to the whole battle. And the one, who, one of the ones you think, this just cracks me up. As soon as his circumstances changed, he out of there. So, verse 15, the Lord discomforted. Cicero lights away, runs off, his chariot, runs off, leaves his chariot. Verse 17, he fled away on his feet to the tent of Jael. Look at that. To the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Canaanite. That's just weirdness right there. Okay? And then, of course, verse 21, where he... His unlikely, well, his wonderful, literate, the great literate demise. But anyways, <clears throat> literacy, great literacy there. I, I'm not using the word, I'm literature, literature, not literacy, literature. Okay, who else didn't fight? Well, we got all these tribes that showed up, right? Well, there's a big one that didn't show up, literally a big one, a tribe by the name of Reuben. Go to chapter 5. That's, this is real interesting, chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. And the princes of Issachar were with Deborah, even Issachar, and also Barak. He was sent on foot into the valley. For the divisions of Reuben, there were great thoughts of heart. What does that mean? They were really thought about it. They spent time dwelling on this. In verse 16, Deborah says, Why abodest thou among the sheepfolds to hear the bleedings of the flock? And then she repeats it again. For the divisions of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. They thought long. They thought hard about it. Some people that understand the language, I don't know if this is true or not, but some people understand the language, say that one of the things that Deborah is saying here is that they, they might have even said verbally that they were coming. There may have been a verbal commitment. I, I mean, obviously there was, there was a conversation that happened for Deborah to know that the Reubenites sat there and went, ooh, we'll have to think about this. Give us some time. 
They really thought about it. I mean, really, they put some thinking into it. But they didn't come. Why not? They had sheep to watch. Do you know what that means? That would have been their, their income, their work. Okay? Their jobs. Sorry, I, I got a job. I, I, you just want me to drop all this? I got bills to pay. Okay? Just, just so we're clear, I want to walk on that. They thought long and hard about it, but the work that they had in their own profession was more important than the work and word of the Lord. Hmm. Who else didn't come? Well, the tribes of Gad and eastern Manasseh. Okay, so we're going to see three tribes in this verse, but we're just going to look at one. So chapter 5, go down to verse 17. Gilead abode beyond Jordan, and why did Dan remain in ships? Now, these are two towns that represent two tribes. So Gad and the eastern part of Manasseh. That's what's meant there by Gilead and Dan. And it, obviously, they lived, they lived near the coast. Okay, they had ships. They remained in ships. Now, that's kind of a general term. Uh, if you're living near the coast and you're in ships, there's two reasons for that. Okay, you're either having fun or you're fishing. Okay, and if you're fishing in this day and age, again, it's occupational. It's your work. Okay, hear that? Well, you know, sorry, uh, you know, I, I really, I'm out on the boat. I'm just enjoying a good time. Or, man, I, I, I got a fishing to do. I got a family to feed. Do you hear what I'm saying? Well, God, we got this great work of the Lord we're going to do over here. Sorry, I, I've got, I got my own work to worry about. I just want you to consider that. Listen to what's being said there. They abode in their ships. Also here in verse 17, we find a third, another tribe. Gilead abode behind Jordan, and why did Dan remain in ships? Asher continued on the seashore and abode in his breaches. Uh, again, it doesn't mean they're standing there in their breaches, <laughs> okay? Uh, it's referencing that they were gathering around areas where rivers or creeks were dumping into the sea. Now, if you're a fisherman, this makes perfect sense, okay? Because if you're fishing, anywhere one body of water is going into another body of water is always a good place to fish. It's bringing in, it's bringing in new, new food, Okay, it's bringing in often oxygenated water. It's also bringing in some temperature differences where fish like to be able to find the temperature they like. So they get in, they find those spots where there's warm and cold water and they, they get in where they find a nice spot right in between. I mean, I remember just killing walleye one time where a, where a river was dumped, or a, a creek was dumping into the Columbia River. Man, we just made a killing on walleye because they were right there. It was just tons of food was getting dumped in and they were just eating like crazy. So what are they doing? They're fishing. Sorry, we can't come to the battle. We can't come to the work. We can't obey the word of the Lord. Why? We've got to fish. Think about that a second. We've got some fishing to do. Which again, I doubt they were fishing for pleasure. It wasn't like they said, you know, like they out there on charter boats. Most likely, again, this is commercial fishing. This, this was the day and age. This is an agricultural society. Sorry, I can't come to the work of the Lord. I have more important work to do. Consider that statement. Consider that statement. Then it gets worse. And I mean like a lot worse. So chapter 5, look at verse 23. Curse ye, Miraz, said, not Deborah, the angel of the Lord, curse ye bitterly the inhabitants thereof, because they came not to, to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. This is serious. Out of all these things, the Lord picks one city and says, can I put it this way? Let, let, me, let me put it this way. God just pointed a big bony finger at the centered city of Miraz and said, you all know better. You hear that? You all knew better. You, you were supposed to be there. Now why would, they, why would the angel of the Lord show up and do an, an automatic curse? It sounds to me like the, city, the inhabitants of the city knew they were supposed to be a part of this battle. Perhaps even called to it. And said, not us. Doesn't even give a reason why. It just says, 
They're cursed. Can you imagine over there being in Miraz, not even knowing there was a battle? Like, why is God cursing us? Oh no, they knew why they were cursed. This wasn't a surprise for them. They, they were supposed to be a part, and they knew they were supposed to be a part, which I don't, know how to, I don't know how else to look at that. Somewhere along the line, if the angel of the Lord, the one that's doing the cursing, it kind of makes you think maybe it was a prophet, the angel of the Lord, the one that did the inviting to the battle, showing up saying, hey, you all need to be a part of this. Yeah, we should be a part of that. We, yep, this is what you need to do, and they don't. And they, they don't just get it. I mean, in the rest of them, Deborah's just kind of calling them out in the list of shame. Where were you guys? Huh? Bleeding of the sheep? Where were you guys? Had some fishing to do? But you, Miraz, you're cursed. That's serious stuff. That sounds to me like there was an outright rejection of something they knew they were supposed... In my mind, I would put it this way. A rejected... They rejected a known call of God upon their life and time. The other cities and tribes had very least were probably requested to be present, but this city somehow is different. There's extra, extra responsibility here. They knew. So, wow. Who fought and who didn't fight? Really interesting, isn't it? You know what's, what's uniform about all those who fought? <clears throat> is the word of God followed by faith in the word of God. That's it. It might have been weak faith. It might have been late faith. It might have been faith that had to switch sides, but it was faith. All of them. Every, every, you look at every one of those groups. Barak had weak faith, but he went. Zebulun and Naphtali, ready to go, even though they're following a weak leader, but let's go. Okay. You got uh, Ephraim and Manasseh and ben, Benjamin, is it? I, I'm, I'm getting those, those, get those groups mixed up when I start getting in there. Get my, yes. Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin, the half-tribe of Manasseh, they showed up late, but they showed up. Why? Because God's word said, let's go beat them. We've got freedom. Let's do this. Not only that, just the word of God from, the, from what Joshua had put out. And, and J.L. happened to look at it and say, this ain't right. You're the one in the wrong. And happened to totally switch sides. Every one of those had to acknowledge or come to grips with. God was, had given a word and a commandment, and they had to adjust themselves to God's word and God's commandment and God's work and not expect God to come and adjust to theirs. So by connect the dots. So they had faith in the work and word of God and they followed it. On the other side, there was a lot of excuses. We got sheep, we got fish, we got boats. We just didn't want to come. There's a lot of excuses and every one of those is essentially... Uh, what, here's, here's the killer. Uh, here's the, the finisher, if you will. So Deborah brings this all down to a really nice, neat little package at the very th- last thing. And I, I mean, seriously, like even, even the, the process of looking at... Uh, <clears throat> no, I'm not going to get there. I'm going to get there a little bit later. So the first group. In Deborah's song, they all get praised throughout. They don't get called out for their... Barak doesn't necessarily get called out for his weak faith. Ephraim and, and uh, Benjamin and Manasseh don't get called out for being late. Okay? None the, and Jael doesn't get called out for switching sides at the last minute. They all get praised. They did this and they did that and they did this. They were there. They were there. They were there. I mean, just great. But the, Deborah, we think about what is this other group that doesn't show up. Deborah kind of, she talks about them in the song, but when it gets down to verse 31, she divides everything down into two segments. And that's it. Two segments. So, let all thine enemies perish, O Lord. Well, who are the enemies? Listen, the tribes that didn't show up, they're not the enemy. Okay, they're not the enemy. Who was the enemy? Jabin and Sisera and the Canaanites. They were the Amalekites and the Ammonites, I believe. They They were the enemy. And he says, you know what? All the enemies of God, let them, let them have the same result as this. And I believe, honestly, that's why they included the whole thought of Sisera's mother. The disappointment and the shame resulting with having gone against, directly against the word and work of God. Well, you know, we're going, we're, we've got a plan, and, and she just demonstrates that by here's Sisera's mom. I mean, I mean that, that tugs your heartstrings. Sisera died by the hand of a woman, and she's picturing her mom over there 
like worrying about her son, and God's like, and Deborah's like, this is how everyone who goes against the word of the Lord should end up. If you're going to go against the word and work of the Lord, this is how your life should end up in sorrow and shame and disappointment. Okay? And then she says this. She goes on, and I call, this is my term, but I call this the, uh, the warrior's blessing. Those that love the Lord. The warrior's blessing. Verse 31, so let all thine enemies perish, O Lord. But, here we go. Let them that love him, the Lord, be as the sun when he goeth forth in his might. Kind of a cool poetical phrase, isn't it? But let, let, me, let me put it maybe poetically in a little... Uh, we're used to the sun around here, okay? But there's something different about when you've been under a storm. Uh, in Michigan, uh, we had 81 full sunshine days a year. 81. Here, it's, it's like between 283 and 287 full sunshine days a year in the, in the state of Idaho. So I want to just put, put that under difference. I love storms. I still to this day love storms because most of Michigan was looking at clouds. <laughs> you kind of get used to storms. You like, to, like that stuff. But there is something wonderful and, and dramatic when you've been out in the cold and the wet. I, matter of fact, I mean, half of my pictures of hunting in Michigan were up in the wet swamps, I mean, just dark. You go out and you're freezing your tail off and it's wet clinging to you everywhere and you're, you're, you're trying to keep your fingers from falling off the ends of their, from your hands, you know. And I, got, I still have uh, frostbite on my ears. From, and, and then somehow in the morning and somehow by lunchtime, watching the sun peek out and just drive all the clouds away and come through the, come through the forest and turn the whole forest into something, instead of being dark and dank, and smelly, it turns into a thing of beauty. And the warmth hits you, and you start drying off, and you're like, oh, this is going to be a good day after all. And you feel like your muscles are starting to loosen up, like, oh, thank the Lord, warm my hands up. <laughs> this, is, this is great. When the sun shows up after a time of darkness, which is exactly what happened right here, they were under the oppression of King Jabin and Sisera under that oppression, and finally, finally there's freedom. They get rest for 40 years, and the sun shines in his strength, and freedom and, and wonder is there. And look, look at what he says. Look at who she's addressing that. She, she's not addressing that to the Lord, as he's the one. Look, look, it says, So let all thine enemies, O Lord, or perish, O Lord, but let them that love him be as the sun when he goeth forth in his might. Wow! <laughs> What does that mean? It's like, it's like the feeling of conquering something great and breaking through. Look what God has done. And other people going, and yeah, and he used you to do it. Wow. Do you hear that? Wow. It's people standing there in the, in the reflected glory of God off of a believer. <laughs> That's what we're called to be. I think Corinthians talks us to have to be the image of God. That's a reflection of God. Those that love the Lord are like the sun high in the sky after the darkness of a storm. Light and warmth and clarity. You know, maybe you've had those moments where man alive, you're just going through it and you're, you're, you can't decide if you're mad or sad or upset or just full of anxiety. I mean, and just you're torn inside out, and your brain is going, "Well, they said this, and they expect that, and I can't even do that, and they want, they say I'm in debt to them, and oh my goodness, they're in debt to me if you want to be truthful." I'm and some person comes along and says, "Hey, friend, God's still good. You're going to make it through this. It's okay. Be patient. Be calm." You know what I'm saying? And it's like somebody, it's like God uses a person just to shine the truth of God on you and suddenly everything just kind of calms. And God uses a person to do that. It's the warrior's blessing. You know, the third group, there's three groups here, but Deborah doesn't address the third one except for making fun of them in the early song. But when she closes out at the end, she says there's two groups of people. There's the enemies of God 
And then there's those that love the Lord. Pick a side. Pick a side. Choose to believe the Word of God and the work of God as it is given and act upon it. Put your work... Now, think about this. The, end, the, very, last, the very last phrase, the very last sentence of chapter 5 is a blessing for the whole land of Israel, including those who did not come to fight. And the land had rest 40 years. <laughs> Everybody received the blessing of the work of those who love the Lord and jumped into the work. The whole land. You might say, well, then I don't have to fight. I, I can just receive the blessings of other people's work. Yeah, but you're also going to recognize that they're the ones who are shining and you're not. They're the ones who look like someone who's got light and warmth and, and life. And you're just kind of only basking in their glory and don't have any of your own. I'll tell you, you, have, you need to pick a side, make a decision, act upon the commands of the Word of God, make His work more important than your work, and go out there. Well, I just don't have much faith. Neither did Barak. Well, we're following this leader, and I ain't sure he's got all that great faith. If he's making any attempt, follow him. Go. Oh, I'm on the wrong side. Great, switch sides. Well, they've already won the battle. It does never too late to get in the fight. Get in the fight. Well, I've lived my whole life doing this other stuff. Who set that aside and pick a side? Those that love the Lord get the warrior's blessing. Let them be as the sun that goeth forth in his might. Um, this is a wonderful thing. Listen, you, every one of these people, every one of these people that did not fight, almost all of them knew prior. Well, I, I can't say. I think all of them knew prior what God's will already was. You cannot tell me that Heber and Jael didn't know what side God was on. Before Heber went to, to, to tell Sisera, to be a traitor to Sisera, you can't tell me. He was, his family was the father-in-law of Moses, for heaven's sakes. They know that God blesses Israel and that to follow Israel is a blessing to them. That's why they stuck with Israel, because they were blessed by it. He knew what God was real. And, I mean, and Jael had to make that decision at the end. Sisera should have recognized history. Jabin should have listened. What happened the last time these people came in and God was with them? We all got plastered. <laughs> he never should have been there to begin with. Okay, we could keep right on going. But the, the people in Israel, the tribes, they should have known. This has already happened a couple times in the land. At least once or twice. Miraz, they should. We don't even know how, but God does leave them any excuse. They absolutely were without excuse. They should have known. Act upon the words of God. Trust the, trust the commands of God. And get involved in the work of God. Make a decision. Make a decision. Don't sit around hoping that maybe it will all just work out in the end. Make a decision. Get on a side. So... Um, I know you, you're familiar with this. I, uh, I loved, we've been able to visit Mount St. Helens a couple times. We were there uh, not long after the first eruption when they had just turned it into a, a kind of a park, I think, at the time. I don't remember if it was a state park at that time or a national park, but some of you know that, I think it's still a, isn't it a, is it a state park now? Does anybody remember? Is it a national park? It's a national park? I mean, literally... It, I want to say it was just sort of a matter of years. Everything was pretty much died down and um, grass was starting to grow back. And, but we were able to make a visit there. And I remember, I remember standing on a, a viewpoint that literally had just been made. You could see fresh concrete and dirt. And it looked like, it looked like some giant had taken a comb, a fine-tooth comb, and had combed the trees like you'd comb your hair away from the mountain. They were all, I mean, literally, every tree pointed exactly the same direction, completely bare of all bark, all, all branches. Um, I mean, just crazy. That, and now that's all gone. I mean, they've, they've logged all those or removed all the trees. But I just remember seeing that, that you know, and, and, 
In my mind, as a little kid, I always thought, man, this thing just kind of blew up all of a sudden, and just all these people, they got hurt, and oh my goodness, I can't believe it, you know. And, uh, and then you start reading some of the history and find out that when Mount St. Helens blew up, it wasn't a surprise. Just like, by the way, Pompeii, when it blew up, it wasn't a surprise. There were days of warnings. Mount St. Helens was two months, two months of people going up into the area that they considered would be the blast radius and saying, uh, we're pretty sure the mountain's going to go, you need to move. Now, these are the people who track this kind of stuff. They're volcanologists, you know, geologists. They pay attention to, not people who study people from Vulcan, but people who, okay, there's some, some Trekkies in here. So, volcanologists, they're up there literally for two months all over the mountain. And let me tell you, we always, we always go back to you know, the Harry Truman, the guy that was the caretaker at the Spirit Lake Lodge. But he wasn't the only one. There were people all over the mountain that said, no, we're not moving. For two months, they were given warnings saying, I mean, tons of time. Authorities were able to sound the alarm. They were visiting people in person, expressing to them the seriousness of the, of the threat. You ha- and people said, no, I, I'm not bothered. I'm not going to mess with that. Harry, so you know, the, you know the story of Harry Randall Truman. He was the owner and caretaker of the Spirit Lake Lodge up there. Excuse me, Mount St. Helens Lodge at Spirit Lake. Um, he'd survived the sinking of his troop ship by a German submarine off the coast of Ireland in World War I. And he said, I'm not going to, I've been through all this. I'm not just going to leave just because there's some guys out there with white coats that say there's some danger. And this is what he told reporters. Listen, this is a quote. I don't have any idea whether it will blow, but I don't believe it to the point that I'm going to pack up. Well, it might, but I don't believe it to the point that I want to change my life. I don't want to inconvenience my life because somebody out there says this major thing is going to happen. Of course, you know the story. The whole area is now buried under like 150 feet of mud and debris. And they never found Harry Truman. No, no, they searched. No, nobody. Never found. And, and you wonder how Christians are sitting on sidelines when there's a work to be done. And we're called to the work. The call is clear. It's direct. It's, I mean, it's without question that the, the New Testament is full of direct and clear commands to Christians. A call to Christians to, to experience the warmth and grace and wonder of God working for them and working in them to the blessing and, and help of all those around them. And they're sitting over there going, no, I, I'm... I hear what you're saying. I just don't think it's that important. I think it's for all you, you other, you know, you're Christian, you're more spiritual folk, you fanatics, and and other people are here going. You need to join. You need to join. And then there's people in the pew. They're saying, you know, I, I mean, I see that I need to fight, but I, I just don't have great faith. It's all right. God accepts weak faith. He helps weak faith. Get in the fight. Well, I'm, I'm a little bit late. Fine, it's okay. Get in the fight. Well, you know, I mean, we're, I'd like to fight, but I, you know, the leader we're following, it kind of seems like maybe he's wishy what. Listen, get in the fight. You can complain about your leader till the cows come home. When you get to heaven, a complaint about a bad pastor or a bad father or a bad Sunday school teacher or a bad husband as your excuse for not getting in, doing what you're supposed to as a Christian, I don't think that's going to go very far with God. We're each responsible ourselves. When God says go do something, I don't think there's much of a doubt as to what God intends, is there? And remember, with God's commandments come God's enablements. Why are we claiming we can't? Why are we claiming we won't? Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you one question. Listen. What is more important than the work of God? What's more important than the work of God? Name one thing that is more important than the work of God. There ain't anything. 
It doesn't exist. So what excuse are you using not to be involved? And if you are involved, let me tell you, you don't have to be perfect to be involved. Just get involved. You don't have to do everything right to get involved. You just have to get involved. You don't have to be the person that you think is the best Christian. You don't even have to strive. I mean, no, just get involved. You know, it's amazing how often as humans we're always looking for better methods. We want, we want more productive methods. It's like we're saying in our minds, we need methods that are more faithful. And all the while, God's looking for men who are just willing to try to be faithful. Do you hear that? Well, God's looking for faithful men. I think God is even acceptable to those who are just willing to try to be faithful. That's why God uses people like Barak. That's why God uses people who have weak faith. It's why God uses people who come, who have, they get their faith late and show up. It's why God, that's why God, people who end up facing a crisis of faith and have to, crisis of faith and have to choose in the middle to realize they're on the wrong side and switch sides. God will use anybody who will look at the word and work of God and say, okay, that's right, I'm wrong, I'm getting involved. Amen. Amen. <laughs> you might even experience what Deborah's talking about with the warrior's blessing when she says, let them that love him be as the sun when he goeth forth in his might. Wow. You might be able to provide rest for people that didn't work for it. But that's God's grace upon them using you. Praise God. Get involved. Take a stand. Make a choice. Because you can either be on the good right side or the wrong side or the sidelines. And it's a whole lot better to be in the fight. Father, Lord, thank you. Lord, I just want to thank you personally, Lord, for 